Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I'm trying to get a little timer up here just in case, you know, they don't get it back there. It's like my plan B. Amen. And if I start mine later than theirs, I always go by mine. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Psalms 130. I, I have stuff in my life uh, that's written down in notes, Evernote notes, all over the place of times that things struck me and I pinned them down or whatever. And I was looking through the notes on my phone the other day and I came across a note I had written that had plucked a verse from Psalms 130. Uh, out and it was Psalms 130 and verse number three in particular. And so I began investigating uh, this chapter once again, and I'm not necessarily preaching from it for the, the, the purpose of that verse that I came across, but God knows what he does. Amen. But I want to speak from this chapter tonight. Psalms 130 verses one through four. If you have time, read the whole chapter sometime. If you just get four more verses read, you'll have it made. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, I would love to be able to take time to preach the whole chapter. But if I did that, I would be here for more than one service doing that. You know my fault. You know my, my, my handicap there. But nonetheless, starting with verse number one, the psalmist says, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice this is important the psalmist doesn't necessarily direct the lord to hear his his words or the syntax and the grammar structure of what was flowing from his mouth he just plainly says hear my voice let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications He has an understanding. He says, if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities right now concerning my life, O Lord, who shall stand? We just have to to roll up the sidewalk right now, turn the lights off, it would be done. He says in verse 4, the contrast is, but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I want to minister to this congregation tonight this simple title or topic. There's power in your voice. There's power in your voice. Folks, I'm telling you, and I, again, I, I don't throw this stuff around very uh, nonchalantly, uh, but I feel like God needs to speak to somebody tonight in particular. I feel I have felt very burdened from the Lord that this is for someone in particular tonight. Amen. And so I want you to hear what God is saying as though he has turned everything else in your world aside and he's picked you and just taken you into a room all by yourself and has something to say to you tonight. There is power in your voice. Hallelujah. Let's go right now to the Lord in prayer. Father, I need you tonight. God, I pray, oh Lord, help me, Jesus. 
God, let me be lost, Lord, in this and let it be heaven speaking. God, I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, to an individual, perhaps, God, even a group of individuals tonight. God, let someone, Lord, wrap their arms and their hands, God, around, God, the concept, Lord, of what is going to be spoken from Psalms 130 tonight. God, perhaps, Lord, someone here, perhaps somebody online, wherever they may be, whoever they may be, I pray, oh, God, you know them, you know where they are, you have directed, Lord, you've ordered steps this week God just for this purpose for their purpose in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray hallelujah and amen and the church say amen hallelujah you may be seated tonight in the lovely name of the Lord look at your neighbor and tell them there's power in your voice help me Jesus Charlie Hinch was almost 50 years old. He was six feet tall and could bench 315 pounds. In recent years, he had run with the Bulls in Spain, had canoed through the boundary waters of Minnesota. He had hiked the Sierra backcountry in California with a group of friends. And somewhere along the way, he decided to take a solo hike through the Sierra Nevada, five-day hike across an imposing mountain range. He wrote about his experiences, and he chronicled this adventure that he endeavored to go on. Midway through his trip, a winter storm dumped on that region where he was located, snow in great amounts, 50-mile-per-hour wind gusts swept across the area, Two-foot snow drifts stacked against his tent that he had stationed up there in the ridges. The winds were so powerful that they were snapping uh, trees with trunks that were eight feet in diameter. He traveled after waiting one day with much difficulty and all paths now that he would travel on are now covered with snow. And having continued along a particular ridge, he found himself having made a wrong turn and he fell from a precipice and his walking stick and his map and the glasses that he had had were all gone. His wrists were writhing in pain probably because they were broken. After making a few attempts to get up, he fell a couple more times on the slippery surface that was underneath his feet, adding, of course, to the injuries that he already had in his body from some falls. And so soon he realized after his face made contact with the ground once again that he was on a sheer cliff that dropped several hundreds of feet to the valley floor. After a week had passed, after starting his journey in the, across the range of Sierra Nevada, amen, he had somewhere along the way had missed the sounds of helicopters that were coming uh, that day, particularly to search him out, seek him out for his rescue in many regards. And on that particular day, Charlie writes in his diary that night, he says, I want the nightmare to end. He was frozen. He was wounded. He was standing among a very difficult terrain and range of cliffs along Sierra Nevada. And at last, a chopper had crew had come again and they dropped 
a message on a line with a weight to it to Charlie. And the message read like this. If you are Charlie Hinch, raise one arm. And if you're hurt, raise the other. And the story says Charlie raised both arms. Thus owning the fact that he was Charlie Hinch and also owning another simple fact that he was in need of some help. Those people that drove and navigated that helicopter in their message they sent down to him, they did not ask him how he got hurt. They did not ask him if he was hurt as a result of the storm. Nor did they ask if he was hurt as a result of something that he did. They just simply needed to know, do you, sir, need some help? Folks, I must admit to you, I've known of this story for some time. And I oftentimes think of this story many times during some of our own worship services on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night as I see people throughout the congregation. Used to more so up here, but nonetheless, as I used to see people among the congregation, some of them I see that they raise a hand. And yet others are raising both hands up unto the Lord. And as I see that oftentimes, Brother May, and this story comes back to my mind because I think the numbers that identify who they are are oftentimes there is another aspect of people that shroud and mask their need of help by keeping the other hand withdrawn. One hand extension, amen, that really needs a double hand expression that says that I don't only know who I am, but I'm wounded, I'm hurt, and I'm in need of some help over here. Can someone say amen? Amen. For every person that runs to God in their hour of need, folks, there are quite as many equally that run, if not more, away from God during those moments of need. They avoid God. They kind of try to sidestep God. They may feel like in many regards, and I hope that somebody can identify with what I'm saying tonight. I feel like in many regards in prayer this week that there are some people that try to avoid the Lord during those hours because they feel like and they know personally, you know, maybe I have failed God. And the last person that I want to talk to and perhaps the last person that wants to entertain what I have to say is someone that maybe I have denied. Maybe someone that I have, you know what, gone against his work and his plan. So I don't want to have a conversation with God not because God isn't loving and God isn't kind, but because there are some voices in my life that's telling me you don't need to talk to God because you're not in a place or a position or a status in life right now in relationship in order to utter anything to God. I believe sometimes people refrain from lifting their voice to the Lord because self-imposed on them is self-imposed embarrassment, self-imposed guilt. And those two things of embarrassment and guilt almost stand right next to and by their lives as guards that's trying to limit any movement that they would have toward God, trying to restrict them and keep their mouth shut so that they would not confess to God. Why? because I'm embarrassed I'm not where I need to be and I know that amen or you feel the guilt and the shame of maybe a past or a present or what you're currently in and so you don't move forward concerning crying out to him because of the embarrassment and the guilt that you feel in your own life someone say hallelujah 
those voices come into our lives and to our heads at those times and they tell us that we're making a fool of ourselves why would you even blubber anything unto the Lord you're making a fool of yourself don't you know who you are don't you know what you've done don't you know the faults and the failures don't you know the infractions against God and his holiness that you have made you have no right to level with God amen and tell him about where you are and what you're going through and what you're thinking and what your activities have been about many times that guilt comes over us like a flood it causes us in the church even we'll come and we'll bow our head and we're bowed over with our heads and our necks and our shoulders our posture is a teller of it because we're feeling guilt in our lives and that shame keeps us from raising a hand that shame keeps us from throwing both hands up that shame prevents us from raising our voices to the one who bowed his head for us and gave his life for us Someone say amen. Hallelujah. We got the hot tub going back there. Glory, amen. And while there may be people, listen to me very clearly, you get somewhat pushed over in the corner many times by your own thoughts and feelings because you believe people are observing. People are looking. People are judging. People are measuring you up. Hey man, there's observers, Brother McGee. All they're looking at is my failure. All they're looking at is where I've done wrong and not where I've succeeded. All they're doing is judging me according to my apparent and sometimes visible mishaps. Hey man, and yet we know. You know, sir. You know, ma'am. I'm talking to somebody tonight I feel in the Holy Ghost you know that you feel like that they are observing your every mishap but on the same token you know that hallelujah every mishap that you've went through everything that you've come through you understand very plainly that you have been in a point that you had fought tooth and nail amen to that breaking point of the recklessness that came about in your life they see your failure but you they do not see the battle they don't see the struggle they don't see the war how many days you kept the ground before you lost ground they don't see how many moments you said no before you fell claim to the yes oh my god oh god hallelujah hallelujah you're thinking your mind I fought they just see the indiscretion but they don't see the backbone I had leading up the weeks and the months of refusal that I gave to that thing that I fell prey to and in their heart is the longing in their heart is the desire we want to do good we've tried to do good but evil is present with us there's a desire in my life pastor to do good there's an inclination in my life toward that which is right. Not realizing that every day there's been some major battles fought every day in order just to get to where you are in order just to reach your present footing. You've been the apostle Paul that oppressed toward the mark of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You've been in a press. You've been in, if you will, some jostling around of the crowd, but you've tried to take steps in the right direction. And at times, I admit to you, I admit to you even personally, that our path, amen, to that place and to that destiny, to that achievement, is not always straight. It's not 
not always orderly and perfect and just so like we'd like it to be. Many times, if I may, whenever we reach another mile marker or another milestone, the path to that next one is always seemingly a little bit chaotic. It's best described by a line that zigs and zags, but hopefully moving in the same direction. And we question. Huh? We question within ourselves if we have, here's the wording, the right even to cry out to God. Because nobody knows better than me about me. Do I even have a right to cry out to God? Because God, I'm not near where I hoped to be. My current circumstances and situation and position is subpar to where I'd like to be. For that matter, God, where I am right now, I'm not even sure if I could frame how I feel or what I need rightly upon my lips. I don't even know if I could express it into words with what's going on inside of me. I know it feels like that I'm not even in a position to be able to say anything to the great God above and him to even understand my position, my place, and where I'm at. Nonetheless, someone say nonetheless. As we cry out to the Lord, we ask as the psalmist did, please hear our voice. Someone say glory. The psalmist finds himself in a similar predicament Psalms 130 is a song of ascent. You'll see it in the superscript before your chapter if you have a Bible that denotes that it is a song of degrees. Psalms 120 to Psalms 134, those 15 songs of degrees or 15 songs of ascent. Even today, as Psalms 130 is utilized, it's oftentimes utilized during the first 10 days of the Jewish New Year. Amen. And it has its own special tune that goes along with this psalm or song. And so these songs of degrees, and there's a lot of ambiguous meaning about maybe when they were used or how they were used. Some say that the songs were used for the Levitical priesthood as they ascended the 15 steps to the intersection of the court yard of the temple that they would sing a song on each one of those steps that they would take foot upon and then there are other opinions that believe that these were the 15 songs or psalms that were sung as the Jews took their annual pilgrimages during the three major feasts of Pentecost and Passover and Tabernacles as they'd make their way to the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. But regardless of their real intent and use, the Bible says, and the superscripts even reads, that they were songs of ascents. Someone say amen. See, physically people went up to Jerusalem. The city and the temple itself stood on a higher plane than the other areas that surrounded it. Therefore, it is not surprising to me as I read through the songs of degrees or the song of ascents that I would read such things like this in Psalms 121 where the psalmist says, I will lift up mine eyes. 
Huh? Because he's on a journey that's upward. I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. It doesn't surprise me then that in Psalms 123, he would still yet write upon the parchment and say, unto thee lift I up mine eyes. He's starting from an area at a much lower place than where he is going. And so he's lifting up eyes to a higher plane. But as we approach Psalms 130, we are at step number 11. We are past the halfway point, if you will, of the 15 steps and the 11th song of ascent. The psalmist says this as he starts out in verse 1. He says, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. The depths, he says, the depths, the depths seem to indicate a physical location. I mean, we have other people in Scripture. The Bible says that Jeremiah cried out of his dungeon that Daniel cried out of the lion's den. We have even the Bible says still yet others like Jonah that cried from a fish's belly. So surely it wouldn't be strange here in the Psalms for the psalmist to cry from the depths. Beside again, we understand this is a upward journey. This is going from a lower place to a higher place. Someone say amen. But there's interest, I believe, in the Psalms of a sense here. We look at each one of them, and some of the superscripts tell us that there are certain of these songs or psalms that are attributed to certain authors. For instance, Psalms 127 is accredited to Solomon, while Psalms 131 is accredited to David. But when we read prior to Psalms 131, it has no official author or at least none that's identified that it is accredited to. And I present to you tonight perhaps because everyone will have found themselves at one time or another in the depths. This wasn't just a story of David's life. This just wasn't a story of Solomon's life. But I believe the, the unknown is set there for the purpose because this could be the story of any of our lives. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. The word depths, it means to be deep. Amen. Isn't that deep? It means to be deep and then to be unsearchable. If this is a physical geographic location, then it is described in through its meaning that it is so deep that it is unsearchable. It is obscure. It is remote. But I contend with you tonight that the depths of Psalms 130 aren't so much a location upon the earth as much as they are a physical location within the person, a physical location within the man. Someone say amen. Man, I got some preaching to do here tonight. Other passages in the Psalms come to bear on our understanding of these depths that I believe enlighten our understanding of the depths of Psalms 130. We look at other passages of Psalms like Psalm 69, verses 1 and 2, where the writer says, Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. In other words, the writer at this particular time is writing basically, metaphorically, and with euphemisms stating basically this, God, I'm not in a good place. 
God, I'm not in a good place right now. I'm in a place that is spiritually, amen, amen, overflowing me. I'm in a place where it's hard to stand. I'm in a place right now where I can't get my footing, oh Lord. I'm in the depths right now, God, where it feels like the waters are overpowering me, as though the depths are overcoming me, and they're coming into my soul. He says, furthermore, in verses 14 and 15 of the same chapter, he says, deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters. Verse 15, let not the water flood overflow me. Neither let the deep swallow me up and let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. Our psalmist is conveying to us, and I believe the very similar thread that he uses in Psalms 130 convey this there is a deep unsearchable amen depths of my soul amen I'm in a bad spot right now I am in a compromising position right now I feel like I'm being overtaken I feel like my soul is in distress my spiritual well-being is in need of some rescue and I'm at the mercy of the violence of the flood of the water Someone hear me right now. Somebody hear me right now. Because I believe there might be somebody sitting in this place tonight that has the very same sentiments as our psalmist that the waters have flooded into your soul. This depth is not a geographic location. It is a physical location in your life. It's a physical location in your soul. You have felt overcome. You have felt as though they're crashing in. You feel like your footing has been lost. You feel like you're having a hard time keeping your head above the water. You're gasping for air. Can I tell you, I I did a little reading today. Some of the professionals read of their accounts of active drowners. And they say, it's not like the movies portray. But people that drown, active drowners, which is one that's conscious. He said, active drowners is not like the movies portray. It's not that they begin to flail their arms and in the same moment cry out for help. He says, most people who drown, drown without ever saying anything. He says they'll do a lot of flailing, but they'll not use their voice. I'm talking to somebody in this place. They call it walking the ladder, doing their arms, trying to get up. I've seen people in the congregation that's been walking the ladder. You've done a lot of motion. You've done a lot of activity. But I'm here to come to tell somebody tonight, there's power in your voice. Don't neglect using your voice. Don't neglect. The waters are coming in. You're feeling the water level rise. But somebody must use their voice. Oh, walk with me. I got more preaching in me right now than you have time to listen, I'm telling you right now. And that's not to make anybody nervous. But the psalmist is attempting to ascend to the city of God what he's doing so this is the pilgrimage this is the a song of ascent this is what he's attempting to do sister Sheila he is attempting to ascend to the city of God or he's attempting to rise to that higher place within the temple of God he's striving for that and yet in his pursuit waters are flooding in yet 
in his attempts. As he's pursuing that, there's other things that's pursuing him. And yet when he cried, the Bible says he cried, this is very simple, unto the Lord. Notice here that the psalmist doesn't say he cried for whatever Old Testament name you want, Ezekiel, or that he cried for Jeroboam, or that he cried for, no, no, he did not cry for a man here because he says, I'm crying from the depths. This is a deep place. This is an unsearchable place that I'm in. I've plunged here or I've sunk here. Amen. I know where I'm at. I'm crying. Amen to the Lord. Because I know to cry to a man in this moment would be futile. To cry to a man right now would not be to my advantage. It would not be to my help. And so I'm crying unto the Lord. I'm surrendering my voice unto the Lord. Lord, hear the voice of my supplications. Hear the voice of my prayer. I'm trying to tell somebody tonight, you got to have the direction of your cry right. you got to have the object of your cry right. Man's not going to do you any good where some of y'all. Man's not going to do any good with your soul in that unsearchable place. No, 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 no. It will not be to your advantage. It will not be to your benefit. you got to cry unto the Lord. The psalmist said, I know where I'm at. I know what I'm contending with. I'm just, I'm just second guessing whether or not where I'm at, if I can even get a word in edgewise to God. Because where I'm going, I'm trying to make headway. But there's some things that have poured in upon me. There is a Judaic thought that teaches that they should pray unto the Lord with joy. Kind of sets this man in a hard place, don't it? How many times have you ever went to God in prayer and it wasn't necessarily driven by joy? Kind of sets this man in a hard place, doesn't he? He's in distress. Have you ever went to prayer and your words weren't just perfectly structured? You know what I mean? You really didn't know what to say. You didn't really know how to say. They may not have been something eloquent that you'd ascribe over here would write down to publish in a book for somebody else to pray. You know what I'm talking about? It may not have been all of that. Amen. But this man needs help. Though he may not be able to frame it with his lips. Hear me right now. He needs help. He's in a desperate place. He tells the Lord, Lord, if you were to mark iniquities, if you were to observe me and note me and regard all the evil that I have done right up until this very moment of time and were to demand a settlement on it, He said, I would not be able to stand before you. So, Lord, since I'm in a less than desirable place, I'm not not even sure I can properly even state my need. (laughs) Since this isn't a prayer of joy, but rather one of distress, and I'm uncertain even if if you'll even entertain my words, please, Lord... He says, hear then my voice and be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Everybody doing all right? 
In other words, this individual is saying, don't listen to what I'm saying. Because it might not be quite right. But listen to my voice. The authenticity and the sincerity of the sound. Whether the syntax and the grammar is correct or not. There is something behind that. Someone say amen. We understand these words are the authenticity of the voice. In the story of Jacob, the Bible records for us in the Old Testament in Genesis that Jacob will and did approach his father Isaac. At this particular time, Jacob has already secured the the birthright with the red pottage that he sold to Esau. Esau, the Bible plainly tells us, has despised his birthright. Here's something important. There's a lot we could say about this right now, but we don't really have the time to say it all. Amen. Esau despised the birthright, but Jacob desired the birthright. That's important. Esau despised it, but Jacob desired it. And so this really, in many ways, interprets the true heart of Jacob. Though we on the surface reading scripture see his mishaps, his failures, his indiscretions, the heart of the matter of Jacob is this. He desired what his brother despised. The birthright. He had a longing inside of him that went beyond his present station in life. He had a longing inside of him that went beyond his deceptions and his supplantings. He was on a journey of ascent, but he just had other things that was pursuing him. The Bible says, amen, then, that he would go in, he would go into his father, right? He'd go into his father. He's already got the birthright. Amen. He's he's trying, he looks like, you know, just on the surface, Jacob looks like a very suspicious man. Amen. But he was fighting for the heritage of his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac by securing that birthright. There is a longing in him. And so he approaches his father for the blessing. Amen. The blessing that accompanied that birthright that he already had. And he goes in before dad. You remember the story perhaps some of you uh, his mother has fixed the venison just like Esau would have fixed it amen he has the clothing of Esau upon his body the smell of the earth and the field which Esau was a man of the earth Jacob was a man of the tents uh, was upon him he had hair then upon his body amen which was not the the, the typical amen demeanor or, or, or outside body of Jacob and so he goes in before his father and his father basically says these words And in so many words in the passage, he smells like Esau. He feels like Esau. 
the venison tastes like Esau's. Amen. All these things. He says, but the voice is Jacob's voice. But the hands are the hands of Esau. In other words, whenever Esau, whenever Isaac cried out to Jacob and said, Jacob, come here. Are you indeed my son Esau? Amen. Jacob sounded unto his father and replied, I am Esau. But Isaac is sitting there and he's saying the voice is Jacob's voice. It sounds like him. Watch me now. In regard, Regardless of what he's saying, hold on to that. Regardless of what he's saying, his voice is indicative of Jacob. Oh, his voice is indicative of Jacob. I heard a rabbi just here recently, Mendel Kaplan, say this. He said, Jacob's power was in his voice. Amen, alluding to his prayer. Esau's power was in his hands. You see the blessing that Isaac pronounces over Esau after he's already given a blessing to Jacob? He said, Esau, he said, you shall go forth and you shall buy your sword live your power is in your hands but Jacob's power is going to be in his voice Jacob would along the line become Israel amen and known the whole nation of Israel as Israel it's known still yet today that far bar and wide the Jewish people are more or at least want to be more known for their prayers than they do their military functions what are you saying? Jerusalem and the Jews will fight when they have to fight, but they would rather be known by their prayer because they understand there's more power in their prayer than there is in their hands. There's something in their voice. Oh, someone say amen. Hallelujah. Jacob, Israel, he says I know, I, I know what I hear him saying, the words, the grammar, the syntax, but that voice is indicative of Jacob. He might not be getting it right with his words, but there's something in his voice that I hear. Guys, I don't know if I can convey this to you tonight. He had his moments of deception, his moments of supplanting. He was there right then in that moment saying, I am Esau, your son. But Isaac's saying, I hear what you're saying, but there's something I hear behind the words. It's Jacob's voice. I hear the longing of a boy that was willing to do whatever he had to do to get his hand on a birthright that his brother despised. Am I doing okay? Sometimes we give Jacob the bad rap, you know. But he had a longing that the other brother didn't have. He had a desire. Did he have his failures? Yes. But coupled right next to his failure was a longing for something beyond that. And I'm convinced as a pastor up here tonight, there are some people that's in this congregation. I feel like God's been burning me this week. That yes, you've had your mishaps and your mistakes and your failures. But sitting right next to that are some very tenacious longings that are beyond where you are. Someone say hallelujah. What are you saying then, Brother McGee? I'm saying this. There are times that our prayers literally and figuratively lack words. 
And we can only give birth to sounds and voices. Does not the Bible say in Romans 8 and verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Folks, that can go beyond the scope of real physical sickness. That can be on some depths that you're crying from. It helpeth our infirmities. How? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. What is he saying? Sometimes I just can't get the words right. Sometimes I just can't formulate it right upon my lips, particularly when I'm in places that I know that are out of balance. I can't get it right. But the Spirit itself make your intercession for us. What? With groanings which cannot be uttered. I can't always give structure to the words, but there's a voice. There's a groaning. There's a conveyance. Someone say amen. Do you know what the success of Jacob was? He cried from the depths. He was on a journey from a lower level to a higher level. He knew personally that everything in his life was not kosher as it should be. But he had a desire for things that were of God. <laughs> he coveted the birthright. He wanted the blessing. And his power was in his voice. If I could say it like this, Sister Sheila, he realized that the hope that he found was in raising both arms. I'm Jacob, and I'm in need. The night... Before meeting his brother Esau on his return back to his homeland after being gone for so many years with his uncle Laban and getting his two wives and children that were born to him and flocks and herds. The night before meeting his brother Esau, after years being absent from his homeland, the Bible tells us that he was left alone next to and near the river or the brook Jabbok. You can read of it in Genesis chapter 32. He's near the river Jabbok. Jabbok literally means pouring out or flowing out. He wrestles the Bible as it would seem with an angel, but Jacob later, later perceives that it was a manifestation of God himself. In this wrestling match, Jacob wants a blessing. I mean, he has the birthright. He has secured a blessing of his father, but he desires, see, this is the voice of Jacob. He desires a blessing from God. And the angel asked Jacob a simplistic question. What is your name? A one-word answer is all that he gave. Jacob. Jacob, whose name which means supplanter and deceiver. Jacob. But the moment that Jacob shared his name, the moment that he uttered that, he shared not only who he was, but due to its meaning that he was in need of some help. The moment that he shared his name, in essence, he was like Charlie Hinch raising both arms up. I am Jacob. 
<laughs> and I am in need. I am Jacob, supplanter, deceiver, whatever my name would illustrate and convey to you. I am Jacob, but I also have a desire in me for so much more. I want a blessing from the Lord. What are you saying tonight then, Brother McGee? I'm saying this. Jacob's power wasn't in so much his wrestling technique and ability or the hold that he had on the angel. His power was in his voice. Amen. <laughs> the Bible says that the angel of the Lord called unto him and said in verse 28, I call you then Israel. For as a prince, thou hast power with God and with men and has prevailed. The Bible says that Jacob called that place he was at Peniel or Peniel, face of God. He said, for I have seen God face to face. And so though Jacob in many regards, traveling back from being gone, traveling back from fleeing for his life, though in many regards still in depths, at Jabbok, the pouring out, he poured himself at out at Jabbok the flowing forth he let something flow from his life he exercised his voice he sought the face of God from the depths and he was on a journey amen to higher heights just like our psalmist was but he used his voice notice now with me I gotta hurry I understand that Psalms 24 if you look at Psalms 24 this in many regards is a reflection back to this whole scenario of Jacob's life the Bible Ask the question, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? The hill of the Lord, the holy place, that's that high place. That's that place that the song of ascents are trying to get us to. He said, he that have clean hands and a pure heart, who have not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now look at verse number six. He says, this is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face. O Jacob, Salah, we sing the song. Right? This is a generation that seek your face. Oh, God of Jacob. Some translations even render verse number six as, Oh, God of Jacob. Or that they, these are, this is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, even Jacob. Listen to me. Why is it that the writer does not use Jacob's new name and say, Oh, Israel. Or, Oh, God of Israel. Or this is those, the generation that seek him, that seek thy face, even Israel. Why doesn't he use that? There's deadening silence in the congregation. It's as such in the scripture. In order to denote that Jacob, the supplanter, the deceiver, sought the face of God. Not when he had it all right. Not when he was on the cliff of the mountain. But Jacob sought God's face when he didn't have it all together. He poured himself out and cried from the depths, if you will, when he didn't have it all together. 
And yet, there was power in his voice. Some are saying, there's no use for me to cry out, Brother McGee, because I'm not where I should be. He said, this is the generation that seeks his face. Oh, Jacob, he calls him by the old name because that was the condition. That was where the waters were flowing in. But there was still power in his. Still power in his cry. Whenever Jacob sought God's face next to the Jabbok River, he still had issues. He still had faults. He still had failures. He still didn't have it all together. And he knew it much like the psalmist knew it, that they didn't have it all together. But the other thing that they knew was this, as the psalmist said in verse number four, he said, Lord, pay attention to the voice of my supplication because, God, forgiveness is with you. Forgiveness is with you. In other words, I'm going to pour out my heart in prayer. The grammar might not be right. The syntax might be right. But I hope there's a conveyance in my voice that you can hear the desire beyond where I'm currently at. You can hear the desire that goes beyond my fault and on my failure. I want to get there. I want to strive to be there. I know I'm not there. But can you hear my voice? Can you hear what's in the corners and the recesses of my voice? I know forgiveness is only with you, God. I'm crying from the depths because if I know if I cry to you, you'll respond in like fashion to me even in my despair. If you'll stand with me tonight. I'm running. really. In the Old Testament, so Jacob, the failure, the no good, what on the surface seems Jacob, Right? So that's what we that's what we capitalize on, right? The supplanting, the deception, all that failure. Nobody capitalizes on the idea that in spite of all that, he had the desire for the birthright and the blessing. Huh? Nobody capitalizes on the idea that there's a struggle, there's a desire in him that his present situation may not be testifying to. But he's in a striving mode. Waters are flooding and he's in pursuit. There's only a conveyance in his voice. And so the Bible says that he, he sought the face of God there at Jabbok. He had a pouring forth. But notice, if you will, notice, if you will, later in the story of Jacob after meeting Esau and going from there, and there's some other things that happen. Jacob reaches a place that God wanted him to reach. He reached a place that he was at. Before he ever left home. Listen to me. He reaches a place that he was at before he ever left home. When he had the dream of the ladder that extended to heaven. And there's angels descending and ascending upon the ladder. He was at a place that he's come to be known as Bethel. That was like one of the last stations before he left home. Bethel. God has told him get back to Bethel. In order to do that. He's got to go from a lower place. To a higher place. And on the journey, he cries out. He's face-to-face conversation with the Lord. But his feet eventually touch Bethel, the place he had departed from years and years prior. And so when the psalmist in reflection calls back to Psalms 24, verse 3, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? 
And who shall stand in his holy place? And we start reading all these descriptors, clean hands, pure heart. That's a far cry from, oh, deceiving, supplanting Jacob. Can't be him. When it says that he shall receive the blessing of the Lord. Nah, that can't be Jacob. But when we get then there to verse number four and we read, this is the generation that seek him, that seek thy face. Oh, Jacob, it's like, wait a minute. His feet reached Bethel. He stood in that place. Bethel, the house of God. He stood in that place. He was a cheat. He was a failure. Clean hands, pure heart. How can this be? Because before his feet reached there, while he was still in his depths, when he was in his depths and battling, I don't know if I get this right. God, I don't know if I'd ever get this right. This life for you. I don't know if I could ever get this right, God. Living a life for you. Yet behind all of the confusion and the disappointment and the self-failure, there's a longing. There's a longing for God and the things of God. And he's just trying to learn how to navigate the waters that's flooding in upon his innermost soul. But those feet stand in Bethel someday. And there's clean hands and there's a pure heart. And there's a blessing that's been bestowed upon him by God. Because he learned to seek the face of God. Even when he knew and thought he was inadequate to do it. He learned there was power in his voice. Closing eyes here tonight, somebody needs to understand there's power in your voice. It's not whenever you get it per se, everything where it needs to be, and you're the accomplished Christian glory. Hallelujah. No, 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 no. It's that while you're in the depths and the waters are flooding in on you and it feels like they're overtaking you and you're gasping for air, yet there in the recesses of your spirit there is a longing to be what God wants you to be. There is a conveyance when you will seek His face. There's a conveyance when you seek His face that God says, I hear your words. But greater than that, I understand your voice. I know those deep-seated desires that's wanting to ebble out of all of these supplantings and deceivings and mistakes and come to the surface of all that. I understand your desires. There's power. Is there anybody here tonight that needs to find a place to pray, that needs to cry out to God right now in your depths and say, God, God, hear the voice of my supplication. I can't guarantee I'll make sense tonight, God. But just in what I utter, can you can you just interpret the voice that's there? Can you interpret the longings that are there in spite of how I've stepped or in spite of paths that I've gone? Can you interpret the voice? This is the generation that seeks His face. The face of the Lord. It's not the house of the gods of Israel's that now have it all together and name change. It's those that still have their hangups and have been disappointed into themselves and to God. There's power in your voice. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. There's forgiveness with the Lord tonight. There's forgiveness with the Lord tonight. You're in a journey from a lower place to a higher place.
You're lifting up your eyes. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.